Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm PJ Doran. And I'm Dave Sulecki. This week, we'll be speaking with Brian Tuna Mullins, professional motorcycle racer. MXGP at Two Chantel, Germany this weekend. The big news for me was just watching that, uh, that the ending of the first moto. A lot of controversy. Prado cross-jumped over hurlings and took both of them out. So Prado, Ooh. who won the moto, didn't line up for the second moto. So he actually fell off the leaderboard. And it was a big shakeup because what that allowed things to happen, Tim Geyser takes the points lead back over the bullet. So Hurlings is now in second. So the the controversy never ends. I think uh, probably tense moments in the pits at Team KTM over the weekend. FIM going to hand out any penalties on that? There's nothing been come down yet, but uh, you know, it's it's kind of early Monday. So I guess we'll, uh, we're going to have to wait and see. That's a big deal. I thought so too. And in, in the MX2 class, uh, Maxime Renault, man, after his... Uh, Riding at the uh, motocross of nations, he just looked hot. So uh, just good to see him out front and, and jamming, and he just continues with the points lead. So not a lot of controversy in the 250 class, but that 450 class is is going to come down to the wire, man. I'm really, really looking forward to the to the next few races. Well, MotoGP, as we know, happened at Coda, Circuit of the Americas, Austin. Big, big news of the weekend was the resurgence of the cowboy Mark Marquez. Just amazing performance by him. He's only lost one MotoGP event there ever that he has competed in. And with his injuries this year, Dave, it was it was kind of a question mark. Is he going to be as dominant at Circuit of the Americas as we've known him to historically be? And lo and behold, the guy showed up and did exactly what we all thought he might much to the chagrin of the rest of the field, he drove away right from the start and nobody even had a shot at him. The other big news, of course, was Cork Toraro, the points leader, finished ahead of his main rival, Bagnaya. That allowed him to stretch his points lead to 52. Now with three races to go on the season, potentially, Corderaro could lock up the title at the next stop. Uh, that's a big deal. All he has to do is essentially finish ahead of Bagnaya, and that will seal the deal on the 2021 MotoGP title for him. What would you think of that race? I thought it was great. I watched every lap. What you said about Marquez, is, is he finally back? Can we finally say that? He's won two rounds now this year. And uh, here's another interesting stat. Eight different winners in MotoGP this year, which is unheard of. Usually it's it's a one or two guys show and a lot of parody, but uh, Marquez just, he loves riding the U.S., man. He looks good. Yeah, and he, something about that track from the very first time he was there as a rookie in the MotoGP class, he's just been dominant at that facility. I hope he's back. I think he's got a lot more reality in him now than he's ever had in his life. He's advanced some number of years, and his competition continues to be 18 to 21, so... They definitely are not letting it, letting him uh, take anything for granted. I think he is definitely gained some confidence with that dominant win, though. There's no way he didn't. Yeah, I got to think so. So I'm going to stamp it. Marquez is back and uh, watch these next few rounds. Hopefully he doesn't hurt himself again. The other big race of the weekend was, of course, World Superbike from Portugal. 
Big news from that, Razgat Lioglu won the first race. As you know, we have race one, we have a Super Bowl race, and we have race two. So there's three-point scoring events on the weekend. Razgat Lioglu came in with a pretty good lead in the world title. After the weekend, he, because of a DNF in race two, he kind of gave Jonathan Ray a bit of a pass, and Ray was able to reel back some points. Now it's still a very healthy 24-point lead with two rounds to go. But again, he didn't finish race two, so it opened the door, and certainly this title looks like it could go down to the very last event. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto today, professional road racer Brian Tuna Mullins of Team 626 Pack. How you doing, Tuna? Thanks for joining us. I'm good, man. What's the, with the name Team 626 Pack? I would love to hear how that came about. So there's this old Kenny Rogers movie, probably from the I don't know, mid-80s, early 80s even, I guess. He's just like this kind of washed up racer and he's ends up with uh, a crew of six orphans, I suppose, who tried to rob him. And then they end up traveling with him in this beat-up RV going to all these races. So I've uh, I got six kids, all girls. We used to have a beat-up old RV. Now we got a decent one. But So we would go to all these races, and we looked straight up like Kenny Rogers driving around. So we decided to – and that movie's called Six Pack. So we decided to uh, – Call the team 626-PAC since my number is 626. And that absolutely plays uh, after the racing's over too, right? You get a six-pack in you. That is a perfect (laughs) way to round out the weekend. How's your racing going, man? Last I saw you, we were at Barber. Things didn't go totally to plan. No, no. Barber was uh, literally and figuratively a wash. It rained the whole time. I felt pretty good on the bike. We made some changes, got the bike better. And it just, we had one dry session. It rained the entire time. On SVs, you, you kind of have to safeguard the front cylinder because it'll, it'll flood out and then it'll misfire. I took precautions, made a little water deterrent and like a little flap in front of the, the uh, coil wire. And I also uh, put a bunch of dielectric grease and, and RTV around the plug and the bike was good all weekend until we went out for the siding lap of the race and it started misfiring on the front cylinder. And I was like, well, shit, 
So we had a restart because of a wreck and it, it just misfired. I ran the whole race on one cylinder, but I was too stubborn to pull in. It's hard to be competitive in a 650 class when you're running the only 325, uh, correct? Uh, it just limits your, your abilities, I would have to think. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wasn't, wasn't worried about corner exit there. There was no spinning up the wheel on that one. So what else have you got going as we've now ended Moto America? I know you are by no means done riding. You're uh, a consummate motorcycle rider. Are you doing other racing for the rest of the year, or is it just training, riding? What are you up to? So we stay super busy, super busy. So the bike racing, you know, like you said, Moto America is over for the year. And I was on a Wira endurance team for the year. That is over as well. Actually ended the weekend before Barber up at Summit Point in West Virginia. That ended not as good as we had hoped. We led the points probably, I don't know, three quarters of the year. And we went in the last round, 25 points ahead of uh, Chris Parrish's team. And uh, we ended up losing the entire championship by 1.4 points. <laughs> we had to change a radiator and a little past the halfway point, I guess. Another bike went off the track and spit up a, you know, a slew of rocks and our radiator caught one of them while I was out there. And uh, came in, changed the radiator and was back out in like nine minutes, which I thought was pretty impressive. Been there, people started crashing and there were bikes all over the track. They red flagged it. And if we had three more laps, we would have won the championship. That's just not how it played out. So everybody did a good job. We did our best. It just didn't play in our favor. That's why they call it racing and they count the points at the end. It stinks. It'll go your way next time, or at least that's what every racer hopes. You mentioned your six kids, Tuna, which is impressive in and of itself that some woman has tolerated you this long. <laughs> to allow you to accumulate this many children. Are your kids into motorcycling with you at all, or is it something that's only dad? No, they are. They've, they've grown up around it. They've grown up in the garage and traveling the races since they were before they were born, technically. The 14-year-old now races cars. She's the oldest, and I race cars as well outside of bikes. Her younger sister, the 10-year-old, she races uh, flat track bikes. She's still on a 50. They're not, you know, they do it for fun. They want to race because they're competitive kids. But, uh, you know, we're out there just to have a good time. We're not really trying to tear up the world or anything. Her younger sister, the eight-year-old, she races bikes as well. The six-year-old's not really into it. She used to be a ton until uh, her throttle stuck. She didn't know to roll it back. And she went squealing through the backyard and bounced off a few things and hasn't ridden since. And then the four-year-old, she has ridden. She's turned probably 50 or so laps in the backyard by herself. She's, you know, just kind of would rather climb a tree or play in the dirt or something. And then the baby is just not quite there yet. So, Brian, I'm kind of curious. I mean, it's not often you get a guy with a nickname Tuna on your show. So I have to know the story behind the nickname. It's, uh, it's an interesting one, I understand. Yeah, yeah. When I started racing, I, I didn't I didn't even ride a motorcycle till I was 21. And at this point, I'm 38. So when I was 21, um, I was racing go-karts at the time, some regional stuff. I was doing pretty well. Well, actually, I take that back. I was done go-kart racing. I was doing uh, some arena cross stuff. Like basically, I got a bike and I was like, yeah, motorcycles are cool. And then um, I had a buddy, Tony Brueggemann, and another friend, uh, Adam Smith, we're doing like uh, arena cross stuff. And I was like, well, hell, I guess I'll, I'll buy a dirt bike and I will race too. And I, did, I didn't know anything about it, but <laughs> I got a CR250, which is probably the wrong bike to start racing arena cross with. 
I uh, did two seasons of arena cross and some of my buddies, you know, I had this old Suzuki Katana at the time. It was a 94 and it leaked oil and it smoked, but you know, I tried to make it look cool, but it was a Katana. I kind of looked like a dead fish. My buddies were doing track days and I was like, well, cool. You know, there's this place where you can go and ride really fast and be rewarded for it instead of the streets. You know, people were getting hurt and losing licenses and whatnot on the street. So I went to one and only track day at Putnam Park and I uh, showed up with his katana. And, you know, I didn't know much about bikes at the time. And so people were joking about it and they're like, oh, can of tuna, can of tuna. And I went out the first session. I was a novice and they bumped me to intermediate after the first session. And then um, second session, went out in intermediate and did really well and came in at lunch break. They're like, uh, we're going to bump you to advanced. And I was like, okay, that sounds cool. And um, went out and uh, well, before that, even during lunch break, like all my buddies were like, oh, this is awesome. And I didn't understand what the big deal was really. You know, it's like, I'm just, you know, it's just another bike. And they're like, no, your bike's a piece of crap. <laughs> it was like, you know, I was taking offense by it because <laughs> I didn't realize how bad katanas were as far as road racing worthiness. So everybody started calling me Canatuna, referring to that guy being me as Canatuna. We finished the day and it was a blast, made a bunch of new friends. And uh, but I, I wasn't interested in track days. It was like, cool, I want to do this. I'm gonna I'm gonna go race. You know, how do I get my race license? All this. So the name stuck. It was Canatuna. You know, for the last 20 years. However many years since that track day, I was can of tuna, and I haven't had a katana since I sold that. So I sold that and uh, got an old F2 race bike and started racing, and they still call me tuna. It just kept going. So, you know, all anybody in, in the motorcycle world called me tuna. So then when I started racing cars, I was like, well, we'll just keep the name, keep the number. So now I'm tuna to everyone but my family. That's awesome. Every good nickname has got a great story behind it. And I love it when it's connected to a motorcycle. And speaking of motorcycles with nicknames, you've got a couple in your stable that I understand. One's called Lil Wheezy. And uh, that that one I kind of understand because it's a little 500 cow. But uh, tell me about Horse Titties McGee. That's, That's the motorcycle I'm most interested in hearing about. Oh, man. Is that on the Wira profile or is that the Moto America bike? I, I think I, I found it on the Nelson Ledges Wira uh, profile, yeah. <laughs> well, horse Titties McGee or is it Squirrel Titties McGee? I think, it was, I think it was Horse Titties, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm not going to argue with you, whichever. Oh, man. So um, my buddy Pat, man, he passed away the year I started racing. Random act of violence, really sad story. He was crazy. He was this Irish dude. You know, his whole family had proud Irish heritage. And uh, he would, you know, he drank, you know, not to be stereotypical, but um, he drank a bunch and he would just spout out random stuff. We'd be walking around. We'd be like at the store and he'd be like, hey, horse titties. And they'd be like, who the hell are you talking to? And he's like, I'm not talking to anybody. I'm just seeing what people do. And, you know, <laughs> just just weird stuff. Horse titties, squirrel titties. Uh, and anything McGee, he'd be like uh, our friend Greg at the time. He always messed, uh, messed with him. He was a big guy and he sweated a lot. And he called him Neck Cheese McGee. <laughs> and just random shit came out of this guy's mouth. So I was registering these bikes and like, it had a little section for a name and I was like, ah, oh, you know, a little wheezy will be the 500. And I was like, so the 650 has got to have a name. And I just went through some, some options and came up with whatever horse titties or squirrel titties, McGee, whichever one it was. I got another one. I we got a new bike. We got a name now. So. <laughs> 
I'm sure you'll be just as careful with the naming of it. Have you got plan now that you got a new bike? Have you got plans <laughs> for next year, Tuna? I mean, is it locked down or is it wait and see come Christmas time? Oh, every, everything's up in the air always. As you can understand, six kids, we got parenting time. And uh, so that my older two kids, they have a different mom. So we get court orders to follow and times to be here and there and everything. So racing is pretty haphazard or haphazardly planned, to be honest. Molly, so my fiance Molly, the, the mom of the four youngers, she keeps everything in line and everything scheduled. And she just reminds me along the way. <laughs> So we have, uh, I'm still going to run endurance next year. I've told Greg, who's our team owner, that I would be on for it again. The the Moto America bike I've been running is actually my buddy Jeff's. um, And he bought it off a friend of ours, uh, John. And I've been riding that bike off and on just whenever they didn't want to ride it or they brought it along. We're like, hey, you want to ride this? So pretty well set up bike. You know, it's a good super bike. I wouldn't say it's really Moto America caliber, but we run it anyways. So that bike, Jeff's building the house and I feel guilty for riding the thing. I'm like, because he, I think he rode it once this year on his own. Otherwise it's just been around for me to ride it. So it was like, you know, I don't want to keep riding your stuff. I was like, you know, why don't you sell it? I was like, if you want to sell it, let me know. I would be interested in buying it. So on the way back from Moto America, you know, the bike's on an open trailer getting rained on for the next eight hours. I was like, uh, you know, I'm going to take it home and go over it. And he's like, well, you know, about our talk, he's like, why don't you just buy it? And I was like, uh, well, give me a price and tell me what comes with it and we'll go from there. So we agreed on it. And uh, so the bike had been riding the last couple of years and I'm actually going to purchase. You know, we've made improvements on it since I've been riding it, but since it's mine, I'll, I'll have a little more incentive to, to sweeten it up a little bit. Right on. Well, then we hope we get to see you out there in Moto America again. It does. It looks like that class is absolutely going to carry on as it seems to be the most popular class in the paddock. Yeah, man. It's, um, it's not what I thought it would be. So, you know, I ran some AMA stuff back in the day. And when they announced this class, I was like, awesome. You know, that's something. It's fairly affordable. I can get into it. it you know, they're machines that I like riding. You know, things happen. I decided not to do it the first year and the rules package is a little bit funky. You know, it's a super bike class, but you can't build a true super bike because of the fuel controls and whatnot. You'll get a you know, if you build a high compression engine, you get a lot of pre-detonation. And then the parts that are homologated that you can run, it's just not what I would typically build for the class. But so you end up like with this hybrid bike that's you know, not a pure super bike, but not super stock by any means. So, but yeah, the classes, I, I kind of set that out until we were like, you know, they ran at Indy last year and I was like, yes, you know, that's close to my house. That track has so much heritage and history. It was like, we want to go to that one. So we did. And then we're like, well, we ran it and we ran mid pack without much effort. Why don't we do it again? So that's how this year came about. And, um, there's tons of grids, tons of new riders, tons of new teams going into that class. And, you know, I think it's kind of the bread and butter. You know, a lot of people want to do that. And it's actually attainable for the average guy. Absolutely. And it seems to bring what I like about it amongst everything that I like about it is it brings young and old racers together. You've got guys on their way up. You've got established guys who aren't going anywhere but want to keep racing. I mean, honestly, that's what it seems like, and I think it's a good fit as you get young and old racers working together. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You get you get the treachery of the old guys, and you get the lack of, uh, well, I mean, not that it's a bad thing, but just lack of 
concern of what the possible outcome of the young kids is, you know, they're, they're young. They don't care. They got to go to school with a broken arm. They don't, you know, it's no big deal. But, you know, regular working guys trying to go to work with a broken arm, broken leg or something, they got a mortgage to pay. It's a little something in the back of our mind. But it, it is great. It's, it brings a lot of colorful conversation and paddock. Like, you know, there's some kids that we're racing, you know, that I raced with their dads. <laughs> it's uh, pretty wild. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Tuna, it's uh, unfortunately our time has gotten short because it's so easy to talk to you. Love talking to you. Want to give you a chance. Are there any sponsors that you want to give a shout out to or a thank you to? So, I mean, as far as real sponsors, uh, Jamie Daughtry with DMR Performance Suspension. He's out of uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. He's done my suspension for years. Super helpful guy. We actually got him. I was building a bike for uh, vintage days just to play around on, and he had interest in riding it. He hadn't, I don't, he hadn't done a race since like, I don't know, like 20 years or something, like 2003 or something. And uh, he expressed interest in wanting to ride up there. And I was like, hell, I just built this bike. You did the suspension. Why don't you ride it? So he entered his first race in like 20 years up at Mid Ohio at vintage days. Since then, we built, I've built a few bikes to get guys started on just cheap SVs. Jamie is, you know, the primary sponsor and he just hooks me up on suspension work. And, uh, you know, I guess Jeff for letting me ride his bike <laughs> all year, Jeff Schuster. But as far as like real sponsors, I don't have any, you know, it's just my shop. I wrench on bikes in the evenings to pay for all the racing stuff. So I don't need any publicity for that because I don't have enough, enough hands to do all the work. You're already overrun with it. Well, Tuna, it's been a pleasure talking to you, a pleasure seeing you at multiple racetracks this year, and I can't wait to see you again, hopefully at a racetrack uh, next season. Thanks for joining us today on Pit Pass, and good luck with uh, the offseason. Yeah, thanks, man. You guys take care. This week's Moment in Moto History, the United States 500cc Grand Prix Motocross event took place annually at the Carlsbad Raceway beginning in 1973. This event was dominated by the European racers from the beginning, and it wasn't until 1980 when a U.S. rider won the event, and this happened in June of 1980. Privateer racer Marty Motes, he was the first American racer to win the event overall, even when the favorite was perennial GP racer Brad Lackey, So hats off to Marty and his first big career win for helping bring the U.S. into legitimacy on the world motocross stage. And it was great to see live. They used to broadcast that event every year from uh, ABC's Wide World of Sports. And it was the one motocross race that you could catch on television every year. So we always look forward to it. Yep. And I would imagine the popularity of that race probably led to further televised motocross and ultimately supercross races, it's fair to say, right? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And it was a touchstone moment, really, because that's when Americans really got taken seriously after that. And uh, I think it was 1981 when they really started a run to dominate the world in motocross. And the sport came from Europe and, and the Americans adopted it. And that was the, the turning point, I think, in, uh, in motocross racing in the U.S. And we still have currently mxgp round correct we recently returned to the mxgp circuit yeah they do uh, move it around the country they just had one here recently at um redbud i believe it was but uh, they do move it around and they they have various deep displacement events in the country but uh, that's the main one 
In upcoming motorcycle racing news, we're going to have a World Superbike Round at Argentina October 15th through the 17th. And American Flat Track will be going to the Charlotte Half Mile October the 8th. GNCC Racing returns for round 12 of 13 at the Buckwheat 100 in Newburgh, West Virginia, October 9th and 10th. The MXGP of France round 12 of 18 will take place uh, October 10th. Thank you again to our guests for being with us today, and thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you have a moment, please rate and review us. We really appreciate it. Make sure you're also following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our blog. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Alverson, Chris Bishop, producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. I'm Dave. And I'm PJ. And we'll see you next week. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting the the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.